Well, thank you. Thank you so much for... <laughs> Welcome to Harold Hey. It's me, Corey Vaughn, with Adam Smaha. And we're here uh, recording our last episode of season one, uh, but, but uh, the last episode of season one, both of the television show Harold, but also of our podcast. We're, we're kind of taking a few months of a hiatus to um, rework some things, um, uh, make, make our podcast better, stronger. Um, so we're really thankful that you've stuck around for a season uh, with us. We love doing it. We love thinking uh thinking really critically about this great show um something we're really proud of you know all of our um the improvements we've made and uh the way it's been uh kind of opened up our minds to the possibilities of a of a great cartoon it's even it's even better than we thought right right adam yes very true very true and you know what america thinks so too <laughs> i mean why do they ever first you got the Harold. there's a Harold movie coming out sometime at the end of 16 early 17 um, but also, we've got a, some cool news, actually, if you haven't heard yet, which is that. <laughs> oh, yeah. we or Yeah, I did an interview on Mike.com for a little bit that they did about 90s cartoons and nostalgia, essentially, and sort of the uh, breathing new life into old cartoons. And, and Mike, it was a fun bit. Yeah, and Mike.com is kind of a big deal. Not like BuzzFeed. They feed, said but in like, the yeah. email <laughs> yeah. that they have 20 million viewers per month. That's, hey, 20 million more than my website. Right? Yeah, definitely. Yes. And if we can turn that into dollar signs, I'm in, baby. It's called podcast money, Adam. <laughs> we, we have yet to see what that looks like, yeah. <laughs> or if that exists at all. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah. Thanks for thanks for sticking with us. We love your reviews, your um, emails. Please keep sending them. Again, that's um, hey dot hey arnold hey at gmail dot com. Um, our website is hey arnold hey dot com. Um, yeah, and rate and review us on iTunes. It's very helpful. Yeah, and just because we're going to be gone for a couple of months, we're going to do some like uh, intermittent uh, intermittent episodes. Hopefully, uh, hopefully, like, yeah. Do some like short updates and maybe some like maybe an think interview. pieces. Yeah, interview think pieces. Yeah. Um, but we yeah we're hoping to kind of get a good sum of episodes done so we can provide them to you in a in a in a full way. Probably once a week. Then is I the hope, hope so. Yeah. yeah. Well, and and all to say. The for, our format is slightly shifting for the next season, and you'll see a little preview of that uh, today uh, as you listen in your earbuds right now. Or car speakers. Whatever. Or laptop speaker, whatever works for you. So, we hope you enjoy um, this great episode. It's um, it's called uh, Arnold's Christmas, and it's written by... Uh, it's written by Steve Vixton, and it's directed by Jamie Mitchell. I know that um, Craig Bartlett had a hand in the, in the story as well, um, but... Yeah, those are those are the credits, and we we hope you really enjoy it.
Bells are ringing in good cheer, and snow-covered freeways and frozen streets give way to sleds and skates, and every child that passes through the frame is smiling. And the viewer is, too, because it's a Hey Arnold Christmas special. The usual characters are present in this holiday episode, with their habits and personalities rising to the top of the narrative. Phoebe is sunny and full of holiday spirit, and as usual by Helga's side. Helga rolls her eyes and makes a point. Christmas is about getting yours before the other guy gets his. The only gift she's looking to give is one for Arnold, and even there, her holiday spirit leans selfish. Her real goal is to find a gift so flashy that Arnold will be forced to fall in love with her. Gerald and Arnold have a similar conversation about the nature of gift giving. Gerald has bought everyone in his family a tie, and his smug confidence puts Arnold off. He calls Gerald out. Christmas is special. It's about showing the people you're close to that you really care about them. Arnold's posture is even more obvious when he picks Mr. Wynn's name in the boarding house gift exchange. Mr. Wynn, normally wide-eyed and brash, is more restrained and subdued at this time of year. Arnold notices and gently asks him for his story, hoping to find some clues for a good gift. Mr. Wynn recounts a story from his war-torn home and reveals that he gave up his baby, a girl named Mai, to keep her safe. She is now grown and living somewhere in the city he and Arnold call home. Arnold, moved by the story, plans on finding Mr. Wynn's daughter. The episode then carries on in two directions. On one side, you have Helga, looking for love in the receiving and giving of gifts. She has little luck in finding a gift for Arnold. Everything she finds is either too juvenile or too flashy or too repetitive or too whatever, and now she's getting desperate. On the other side, you have Arnold's looking for Mai, simply because he cares for Mr. Wynn and sees that his loneliness is especially profound at this time of year. So he and Gerald bend over backwards to convince a federal agent to help them locate her, even agreeing to do his Christmas shopping. This works out okay until they reach the final item, Nancy Spumoni's signature snow boots, sold out in every store in the city. The split narrative is thus connected. The very snow boots Arnold needs to find Mai are the same snow boots that Helga gets as an early Christmas present. It's all she ever wanted, and they're really boss! But when she slumps towards the earth in abject sorrow, and kicks the snow, and curses the wind, the viewer knows what comes next. She gives the boots to the federal agent, and together they locate Mai, who shows up at the door of the boarding house on Christmas morning, and she and her father embrace, and gasp, and cry, and Arnold wonders, how did this happen? And Helga stands at the foot of the stoop, clasping her hands and smiling and whispering, Merry Christmas, Arnold. So, Adam, how was this episode for you? It was a wonderful episode. Um, I think it encapsulated a variety of different feelings that uh, we have about Christmas or people have about Christmas, and that was pretty enjoyable. I think it was really fun to see the transformation of the characters throughout the episode, which I think happens a lot with Helga and with Gerald. Um, I think that, yeah, I really liked the beginning how Helga seemed to be... um, very me, 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 me centered. And she sort of had that pretty obvious, like consumer driven perception of Christmas. But then there's like a pretty big transformation at the end of the episode, by the end of the episode. Well, I think, yeah, the, the way that they present like 
like Helga and Arnold's two like conflicting views of what Christmas means is uh, on, on what it's an easy, like, I feel like every, um, every Christmas special on television, the easy go to critique is, are we uh, like commercialism is, is too much uh, or, or Christmas is about giving, which is, those are like good critiques and um, there, but it feels like kind of an easy, um, an easy go-to trope of Christmas of Christmas television. And I think this episode actually takes that further, takes kind of the ramifications to I, I, Helga calls it a bizarre turn of events. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what it is. It um, it's a kind of a perfect scenario for character growth within the context of um, consumerist Christmas versus like a get more giving Christmas. Right? Definitely. Yeah. And I think that they both manifest with Helga and Arnold. So the first one would be Helga, as seen with Christmas is about presents it's about getting as much stuff as you can possibly get it's about money and flesh it's about shopping like a barbarian it's about getting yours before the other guy gets his it's about dropping hands making lists Christmas is about snowboats which then is sort of countered in Arnold's character you can't just give everybody a guy for Christmas why not because Christmas is special. It's about showing the people you're close to that you really care about. When you give somebody a present, it should be unique. So to kind of piggyback on what you were saying earlier and sort of the Helga's thesis about Christmas is essentially that, like you said, consumerism in terms of Christmas is just like um, sort of the way that it goes. It's uh, an inevitable part of the gift-giving transaction, all those right. sorts of things. But I think it doesn't have to be like hyper-negative. Like I know in... Um, Helga really wanted to get a nice gift for Arnold like she wanted to give him something like expensive and really nice and very individual which is all sort of like a consumer driven mode of thinking but at the same time it's like through this prism of wanting to buy something for somebody that represents the quality of the person as well so she thinks super highly of Arnold so she wants to get something that is the best for Arnold and her way of manifesting that which maybe this is problematic in itself is the buying of a really expensive, unique gift where Arnold counters that and he wants to give something very unique, but it is more of like a gesture and Mm. it's more grandiose and sort of its scope and less consumer based. And then like a third way, I guess, is you have Gerald who like just Thanksgiving anything is nice because that's like what you're supposed to do. He's like kind of aloof. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But even he changes his tune later on in a really wonderful, humorous way. Frozen Tundra Death Warrior 7000. That's right. I guess if somebody got a present like that, they'd be pretty impressed by whoever gave it to them, don't you think? Well, I don't know, Helga. Basically, it's kind of an expensive, flashy gift that isn't really personal and doesn't necessarily express any real feeling or understanding of the person you might be giving it to. No offense, Helga. And he kind of uses it to throw in the face of Helga, but it kind of shows you the transformation of the character, which I think is really funny and really great. Yeah, his is definitely more of like a like a, a small point in the larger story, like you said, more humorous. Whereas Helga's is is a a very important part of the narrative, but also um, a much more grandiose character change, where she's kind of holding, she's like at a fork in the road at multiple points in the episode but especially at the end but I before you go into that I want to push back and say on one side of the coin yes Helga is trying to get this individual thing for Arnold because she respects Arnold 
but she's doing it specifically to get him to fall in love with her, which in itself is not giving. It's very selfish, right? Yeah, it's still, yeah, it is still transactional in that sense. But I think that that's the language she speaks. Totally, yes. So, yeah. but she's able to transcend that at the end. And I think that's sort of like a big uh, overarching theme in this episode is like the transformational element of Christmas or holidays. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's almost like because you're required to think so much about other people, that enables you to like fi- go deeper within yourself to sort of mm-hmm. find something new in yourself, I mm-hmm. guess. Yeah, I, I love this episode um, in part because, you know, the story with Mr. Wynn is so sad. It's like, I have so many thoughts about kind of the foreignness of him, the loneliness of him. But since we're, since we're talking about Helga really quick, her realize the moment when she realizes that the snow boots that she has uh, are the ones that Arnold needs to help Mr. Wynn. This dejection, I mean, the animation, the acting, the kind of the staging of the characters, I think the writers did such a good job, like, conveying this. The way I've been thinking about it is everyone goes through major changes in their life. We probably could all name, like, you know, four or five big moments that were shifting points for us, but no one gets to, no one gets to see that. And, you know, obviously this show is... um, a heightened sense of reality, but what they're presenting here, I think is they're presenting the viewer with a moment where a character has two options in front of them and she weighs them out and, and re- like thinks about the ethics and morals behind it and then makes a decision. That's that's character development. That's called character growth. And even, even just the physicalness of the way she moves from one, from one side of the screen to the other She's really weighing both options very seriously, and that's pretty pretty unique for a kids' cartoon, I think. Yeah, we've talked. You and I talked about this a lot when we were watching the episode. Is it? It feels kind of like when you're watching a play. There's like a theatrical element of it, and it's this sort of physical manifestation of like a really heavy feeling. Yeah, that literal pacing from one side to the other when you're explaining, you know, yeah. different elements of what is going on and what you could do with different options. Well, even even her, she like slumps her back towards the towards the earth and then kicks at the kicks at the ground and curses the wind like that that happens in a, in like two seconds but it it's a very physical um like you said more of a theatrical uh over the top uh response to her i guess a combination of sorrow and realization uh i i love that i love that moment her slumping towards the ground criminy is a great word too yeah and she uses it often i feel yeah. like yeah um yeah, I don't know. I think it, it the physicality of it is really interesting. And I think it shows the transformational element of what's going on in this episode. And I think the um, Mr. Mr. Wynn. Mr. Wynn. Yeah, Mr. Wynn. Um, his sort of story is really interesting. And it adds like a... In this episode, it add, he gets a depth uh, and like the attention that like a, I guess, secondary character normally doesn't get, Mm -hmm. but it's really sort of well-deserved. And I think he gets to go places in his character that like Helga gets to go as well, where they're there. You get to dive a little bit deeper with these two characters. Well, Mr. Wynn is like his, his foreign otherness is, is, um, mocked and and humorous in every other episode up to this point he's he's, yeah it's almost like it's like borderline racist it's definitely a caricature it's not quite racist but it's um it's 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 over there yeah he's like he's like a (laughs) they're toeing the line yeah oh for sure and yeah but i but i think part of it is that this was this show's 20 years ago so 
um, there's a different language on the screen. It doesn't make it wrong or right. That's just kind of the language that was there. But I think what makes this episode so much stronger is because they weren't afraid to like with, with him, with Mr. Kakashka, with a lot of these other, you know, foreign strange people, they're not afraid to let them be strange. Um, because then the moments, for example, in this episode where, uh, the writers lift up his character to the, you know, very pinnacle of, of, of the story. It's that much more powerful because every other moment you know of him is that he's this kooky old guy that doesn't understand, you know, contemporary American society. Um, it, it, I don't know. It, it might be, um, I don't want to misinterpret like what they're trying to do, but I think that comparison, like this is who you think you know him as, but this is actually who he is. I think the thing that's interesting is what they kind of do is they use him as like the, the, the other in like a humorous way in and other, they play in other, in, in other episodes and they play on his like Asian-ness. Right. Right. And what they do in this episode, which is really interesting is they like explain his otherness and his Asian-ness essentially. Mm-hmm. And they give him like a deep backstory that is better suited to any character really besides just like a humorous sort of like, you know, slap on the knee moment. Um, because he seems strange to like an American, an American. And they basically give him a backstory that shows that he has a huge amount of sadness that he carries with him probably all the time. Mm-hmm. And then it's really mm-hmm. manifesting and magnified in this time. Yeah. yeah. in Christmas time. And you see that with a lot of the other characters too. It's like, it basically takes a normal part of these people's personality or these characters personality and then just amplifies it during Christmas. So you have Mr. Kakashka that like rigs the sort of gift giving game. So he gets everybody's gift. And then you have Helga who's obsessed with getting gifts and wants the best gifts. And they have Arnold. That's the fixer. And he's sort of trying to solve um, another character's problems. And then you have Gerald who's sort of aloof is being aloof. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's kind of a, yeah, an amplified version of everybody else's personality, which I think actually holidays and Christmas have to do with that. Like you have like high suicide rates for depressed folks. Like there's all sorts of things that happen during the, the holiday season. Well, the interesting thing then that's kind of the opposite is seeing Miriam and Bob happy together. Helga's parents, they, and part of it's because Olga's there, I guess, but usually, usually Miriam is such a, she's depressed and drunk. Right. And, and Bob is, doesn't care about his kids at all. But in this moment, they're like sharing, like, brandy together and they well, let's no, be real. She, she's still drunk in this episode yeah she's drinking so. eggnog yeah. yeah but like her th- that she reaches out to helga says you look so bummed let me which is interesting too well she sees that her daughter is sad and then offers a gift which let's, is she's speaking that same yeah. sort of language whoa where it's like oh. you look depressed here let me give you something and it's that same sort of thing and you and to some degree it's almost like you, it's used as a pacifier is how I viewed it mm. is the gift is a pacifier. And it's almost like their lives in that house are always like that. Yeah. Like those kids have no like wants for things, but they're also sort of neglected yeah. and set to yeah. these weird standards. Yeah. So it's just like things are always a pacifier yeah. for them. And during the holiday, yes, it's noted that she's depressed, Yeah. but then it's quickly pacified with the, the gift that uh. is going to make her, you know, send her over the moon yeah. essentially. Um, sorry to jump back to Mr. Wynn. I was really, I'm really impressed and I've never thought of it before until I was kind of preparing for this episode, but the staging for Mr. Wynn's home is, um, not just the staging of his home, just everything about him is, is going in conflict with itself. So he's clearly very lonely and, um, is seeking connection from, from 
anyone, anyone who will listen, because all Arnold needs to do is say, please tell me, I'd like to hear it. And he, he then opens up into this deep story about his profound sadness and loneliness. But when first asked, he just kind of says, oh, it's complicated. You wouldn't want to hear, you wouldn't want to hear about this. Uh, and I think, or, or even um, the fact that he lives in a boarding house in, in sparsity, you know, his, his apartment is almost empty. Uh, when Arnold mentions the, the sweaters, uh, he says, oh, would you like one? Like that's, that goes just against to what his life really is. Um, I don't know. It's just like some nice slight staging that uh, again, shows the nuance, the complexity of this character instead of what we assume is just kind of a goofy old dude who uh, doesn't know how to speak English. Like he's given so much dignity, so much dignity. Yeah. And, and when they do the flashback to when he was young and raising his daughter, younger and raising his daughter, there's like a cursory glance at like, that the whole situation was involved with Vietnam and he was escaping the turmoil of the war in Vietnam and came to the United States because his daughter was at risk and he was at risk and he wanted something better for her. And the way in the show they do that is really nice because it's like kind of showing his place in the past, but it's not going into like this crazy like story within that. It's sort of just like note that takes note of the situation shows why it impacts his daughter and himself and how it got them to where they are now and how she's missing and how he's depressed essentially so and then it's sort of arnold is trying to like fix that situation and um yeah through arnold's fixing it it's interesting it actually allows helga to be the fixer which is kind of awesome which is what she kind of didn't realize she wanted but she kind of did yeah um i wonder so this is like clearly this story that Mr. Wynn tells is almost certainly Vietnam, the Vietnam War, um, right? I mean, that, yeah, that's, I think it, it definitely is. Yeah, uh, it it isn't outright only a it, it's definitely a dark perspective of this situation, but it's not the same criticism that you expect. This criticism is specifically about a family torn apart. That's the, that's the criticism. It's, it's essential. I don't even think it's critical at all. It's essentially a really benign take yeah. on a super serious, crazy situation, but they did it as like, without trying to ruffle any feathers. So I think you're right that on the, on the surface level, it is benign and kind of tame in part, in part, cause it's a kid's show, but it is, it is a fairly tame representation of what the Vietnam War was. But when you think about the ramifications of, of Mr. Wynn's full story, not just this small moment, but everything about it, that he is almost living in poverty. It took him 20 years to get to the United States where his daughter was taken. He still hasn't found his daughter because of this over bureaucracy kind of lost in the system situation. Um, so the, again, the surface of the, of this image of the war is pretty benign, but I think the ramifications are actually pretty heartbreaking. And, Oh yeah, definitely. And I don't know what exactly I would say they're 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 trying to say other than this is a broken situation that didn't stop when he gave away his daughter i think that's all they're trying to say Mm -hmm. is i think it's just trying to give his character more depth and give you a greater understanding of him and i think something that you said was interesting to me about the bureaucratic element of it and i think what's interesting is and i think this actually is like pretty normal is you have these american kids gerald and arnold and they do like some brief searching to try to figure out how to find his daughter. And they end up at a government building and they talk to this poor bureaucrat who's like overworked and is working on Christmas Eve when the rest of his office is out partying. With lampshades. Yeah, on head. a guy has like a trash can on his head or something. Um, 
And so um, what was interesting to me about that is that it almost seems like he didn't even know that that resource was available or else he would have found her soon enough, like sooner. Because, and I think it's it's probably pr- pretty common where um, immigrant people don't know how to use the system completely to their advantage. Like more native people, I guess American people in this context, do. Because there's probably like a language barrier. There's probably... Um, a lack of confidence. There's probably a lack of time because going through a bureaucratic system is very, very time intensive. And if he's having to work, well, you don't know his work situation. I don't think. Not yet. No. Yeah. But if you're having to say for like a, a real person in the United States, like work multiple jobs to support yourself and live your live your poor and living in a boarding house, um, you probably don't have the time to chase down your daughter through all of the different elements of the, you know, system to try to figure mm-hmm. this thing out. Whereas like a couple of kids in this show. Are able to figure it out. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's... I guess it's more about his character. But when you have a ripped American flag, something's being said. Something, you know, like... Well, yeah. And and I don't mean that as like... Like, like, how dare you... That's not what I mean. I mean, it's a symbol of something. Well, because Vietnam is a huge blemish Mm. on the American psyche and history and story. And I think so... The, ter- the the torn sort of tattered American flag, which I never thought about till you said it, and that's actually a very good point. I think that's what they're noting, is mm-hmm. that pretty much across the board, everybody knows that the Vietnam War was a travesty, super sad, and a mistake. And I think in a very quick, easily missed <laughs> fashion, yeah, yeah, they're yeah, able yeah. to say yeah, that yeah, without definitely. like coming out and saying, like, we shouldn't have been there or anything like that. Like, it's much more nuanced and... Yeah, because it's giving more attention and time to the character's narrative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think I I don't know I'm sh- I'm not I can't remember if they have other kind of explicit references to social failures like specific references to social failures. Obviously, the whole show is about poverty and about um, uh, you know the psychoses of of I guess poor people um, or or uh, um, urban uh, urban living. Um, but that's not a specific thing that they're that they're critiquing. It's a more general thing. This is a specific reference to a specific social failure, which is, uh, I guess, in this situation, the American presence in Vietnam. Um, and it's it's quick and it's pretty bland, but it, it's saying a lot that on their Christmas episode, they're referencing one of the, like you said, biggest blemishes in American history. Yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's interesting. And to me, that's that's. What they did in this episode is they did all the Hair Arnold things in one episode, and they did it in one go. They didn't have the two separate small episodes. That's right. So it's yeah. like a whole 30 minutes of yeah. this one story. Um, and they, I don't know, I think of Hair Arnold as a show as like being pretty socially aware, socially totally. critical, politically uh, aware as well. Um, yeah. So it doesn't, it, to me, it makes sense that they would bring in like yes. a foreign policy blunder on the American. Um, United States part. Yeah. Usually those things that you, you mentioned though, are you, when you peel a layer up, you realize, Oh, there's a lot of um, other layers of political theory, uh, social theory, etc. This is, this is uh, right on the surface, right on the surface. There's a, there's a failure being talked about. Yeah. Which I like. It's a nice, it's, it makes sense that they would do it, but it's cool that it rises a little bit more to the top. Definitely. Um, yeah. Can I ask you a question? Yes. Go ahead. Uh, six months ago is Christmas. Yeah. Oh, Merry Christmas, by the way. Merry Christmas oh, yeah. in July. Uh, <laughs> you, uh, from what I remember, 
you're like you're kind of 50-50 on on holiday spirit. You're like like Christmas Day, if I remember correctly. I just want to know how did you like the Christmas elements of this episode? How, like tell us how much you hate Christmas. I I I hate Christmas. <laughs> I do. I don't I don't like holidays at all. I'm happy that they exist because it makes some people happy and a lot of people really sad. Um, and I mean, all of those, uh, I don't know the, the retail did, did industry I, needs, I... a, needs a, needs a little boost. So sure, sure. that actually leads nicely into something I, I um, have, oh, I have down, okay, down here on this page. Did I reveal too much about your personal life? No, we always talk about personal okay. life, which is fine with me. Um, it, something that I think is interesting is the consumer element of the Christmas industry is that, um, all right, go ahead, go ahead. I have a thought, but go ahead. Yes. That one statistic and we're done. Uh, 19.2% of all retail uh, sales occur during Christmas, which is insane. Yep. So imagine if we didn't have Christmas, we'd have to make up some other bullshit holiday in order to give the retail industry a boost. Mm. Because when you spend money, it makes somebody else money. Am I right or am I right? You are right. Yeah, that's... uh, I mean, this isn't... But they didn't... Is it... do you think that there's like a more obvious critique of that in this episode, other than the basic trope that commercialism is, is affecting the way we view holidays, you know? Well, I think it's just, it shows the absurdity of it. Like mm. uh, Helga's mom says something like, I waited 18 hours in right, line for right. these boots. And it's like, really? You waited 18 hours? Yeah, yeah, for those yeah. dumb boots? Yeah. Like, so, but those things, yeah. I almost didn't even want to bring it up much because it's no, so no, no. obvious. Yeah. And yeah, it's yeah. such a, the consumerism of holidays is insane. And everybody knows that, but we all buy into it anyways. Because if you don't buy into it, which I've been this idiot that's been like, I don't really care. And then like, people everybody don't like you that. Get, everyone yeah. gives you gifts anyway. They and, give me gifts and yeah. I don't give them shit. And then I look like a total asshole, which yeah. I should look like an asshole. Just you got to play the game. Yeah. You just got to play the game. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like the only I guess even the other good uh when I think of the other really great Christmas television special which is Charlie Brown Christmas that also has a lot to do with um commercialism and uh overindulgence that uh when they buy the like fancy Christmas tree or they want to buy the Christmas trees and and Charlie Brown goes for the sad one but all the kids want the fancy aluminum ones um it, it it's a common trope even in the best of the best and so it's there for a reason because it should be i think what well, totally no definitely it's a it's a necessary critique and even is it the christmas um uh holiday or what chevy chase or whatever is that how, I, christmas vacation christmas vacation that whole story is about a guy who wants the best for his family but doesn't make enough money at his job therefore isn't able to give his family what he thinks right, they deserve right and then you have the asshole neighbors next door that have all the money and are just completely miserable. So that's like another obvious like critique of consumerism, yeah. Christmas, having money or lack thereof, mm-hmm. and how that impacts uh, different people during the holidays. Yeah, yeah. Easy trope, meant to be. Yeah. Meant to be. Definitely. Um, that's great. Uh, what else? Was there, there was something else that I was thinking. Oh, uh, d- a couple small things. Um, the Nancy Spumoni snow boots are referencing Dino Spumoni, who's the uh, the singer that came earlier. So that's that's nice nepotism. Yeah, um, Mr. Bailey is from It's a Wonderful Life. Man, this this show's full of just like little Easter eggs, which usually I don't talk about. Um, oh, okay. 
another thing, another thing about the, uh, the beauty of this, uh, show is that they're not afraid of silence. Um, which happens a few times in the episode, but especially right at the end, Arnold's about to tell Mr. Wynn what he's been trying to do. The doorbell rings and Mai is at the door, but the moment from when the doorbell rings to when Mai walks in, nothing happens. And it's like the longest 10 seconds I've ever seen on a children's television show. And it works so well. I love that this show is able to put the view, put the viewer in a place that's uncomfortable and frustrating and that's part of the narrative and that's there for a reason. Yeah, I think it I think it highlights like the human element of the show. Like this show doesn't have to do the thing where it's like constantly grabbing your attention. Mm. Like I guess I think a lot of uh, children's cartoons do now where it's like so surreal and out there that uh, and attention grabbing. Like this operates in a similar way to like a good film or like a play mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah. It's like a very traditional story structure and way of telling, yeah, storytelling and they're not afraid to do it. Mm. And it's almost like this episode wasn't for kids and it was for the parents. Yeah. Like that's how it felt because even the the Vietnam element of the story, the tempo and the pace and the cadence in the story, all of that stuff is not like it there's very little humor if none yeah. in this episode. Yeah, it seems like it's more geared towards parents than it is towards like kids. Well, I think I think Helga's transformation is more powerful for the adult than for the kid because the kid's like, "Oh, of course, yeah, she's got to help Arnold out." But for the yeah. adult, you see how, especially when you've kept up with the show, you see how selfish she is. And for her to make that decision is a very mature, thoughtful decision that it's it's a pretty profound moment. Um, I know rewatching it, the last few times I've rewatched it, it, it's gotten me pretty emotional because it's such a, yeah, such a powerful moment, I think. Definitely. And it's only time will tell if she uh, learns anything from this yeah. kind act. A little bit, I'm sure. <laughs> I don't know. It makes her wiser. Maybe not more mature, but she she has the, more the experiences. Show must go on. Yeah, 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 exactly. Her there. I think how it ends with her standing at the stoop, um, whispering "Merry Christmas, Arnold." That's like the most joy she's had in this whole show, and that's pretty great to see too. I mean, it. I, yes, this this episode's about Arnold and about Mister Wynn, but I think it's mostly about Helga transfer transforming from selfish to selfless right yeah it definitely is and i think what's interesting in that moment is uh she is like engaging with like true love it's not yes. this sort of like yes. lofty romantic uh poetic thing which she like can kind of revel in and enjoy and dance around it's like absolutely love in action it's like what you do you know, for somebody you truly care about, which not everybody can do that stuff all the time, but you hope that happens a few times in your life. Well, yeah, and it, it the reason she feels that joy is because it's giving her more satisfaction than that lofty, romantic, Shakespearean kind of love. It's a real, she did it for a tr- very selfless reason and got she got no return, no return, other than that great feeling of, of pride and love. Did this remind you of that part when she does that of the spelling bee episode at all? Or was that just me? Doesn't she do something like that too? Or, but is that yeah, more for her? That's, I think that's more for her because she, she's like removing herself from the, from the hand of her father. Yeah. Um, sure, and, sure. and in that she gets to give Arnold the, the win. So it's like a win, win, but, but yeah. in this, she's not, I mean, she it, still gets something. In she does get something. Yeah. 
but it, to me there's like some similarity but it's not maybe the, so over the difference is she knew what she was getting in the spelling bee i don't think she realized how much how happy she yes. would be true 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 um yeah she, that impassioned speech she gives to mr bailey like she's she's dealing with some really adult themes <laughs> yes she is uh well let's let's wrap up here i oh i mean the, the easy uh, this is a easy episode cry of the week so yeah. many options yeah do you do, did you you can lead this one uh it's hard because there's a lot of great a lot of great mo- cry moments um, but if you have if you could only cry once during this i know this show. i know it's so hard there was a time when we were watching it that where you made some like like <laughs> like it got you yeah. like right in the gut like you felt it oh i don't remember what it was but it was at the end more towards the end Well, I, oh, I, it's really hard to pick. I'm, I'm going to pick, I'm going to pick when Arnold says something that really only like therapists in their fifties should say, which is when he says to Mr. Wynn, please, I'd like to hear it about the story (laughs) because Mr. Wynn reaches out and says like, oh, it's a complicated story. It's too long of a story. And for Arnold to like snatch that moment and say, your story is important. I want to hear it. That is very beautiful. Um, yeah. That's true. That's what true relationship really is. Um, and that is why Arnold is the greatest character. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's wise beyond his years and he's like very caring and all the critiques we have of him about being like a people pleaser and a fixer. I don't, I think this is the, the good side of that coin, which is, he really is seeking connection. He cares for others deeply and he's not afraid to go into that difficult conversation. Um, yeah, I, th- I, sorry. I'm, I actually, I liked what you said and I want to respond to it. Yeah. Please. Um, the, oh, this is very, <laughs> very strange, but go on. Um, there, there is a fascinating part in this where, uh, Helga is talking to Mr. Bailey and she says like, if you don't do this for this kid, this kid's got his head in the clouds and he's a total idealist and you're going to crush him and mm-hmm. he'll never think anything good can happen again. And to me, that was like the perfect representation of Arnold as a character because you love him and you care for him and you know his heart is in the right place, mm. but he can't always do all the things he wants to do and things should be done, but it's still good on him for trying and there should be more people like that, but there is an inherent foolishness in his behavior and... But delusion eventually yes say. but this but, is before he's heard the story yes yeah, yeah yeah so at this point no, it's, no, no. it's pure it's, it's only pure. pure no it's totally pure but i think looking at him as overall as his yeah. character yeah you know, i've we didn't talk about that that's an interesting layer too that, like the idea of of helping someone just so they keep believing in miracles yeah that's that's a very um cynical view on oh doing i don't good. know doing good politics yeah. religion like any any yeah. uh uh non-profits it's yeah. it's oh we're gonna help them just specifically so they don't lose hope. Which there's a little bit of that that I that I'm okay with. Yeah. But what Helga basically said is let's 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 create a fake miracle. Yeah. No, that's definitely true. But I think it's because there is a good being done there by having allowing him to exist with his head in the clouds. Because then mm-hmm. he is able to act like there's a utility to it. Like he's able to be that person for his entire community. Purely. So yeah, yeah, so if if he was grounded there, and if everyone was grounded, there would be no 
people to be that way. Yeah. So there is a utility in allowing mm-hmm. someone to have this sort of disposition for lofty sort of idealistic yeah, thinking yeah, yeah. that it's, it's it tr- truly serves a purpose. It's not just like for fun or a fool's errand. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It serves a legitimate purpose. Yeah. Yeah. And I, again, I think this moment uh, with Mr. Wynn is the purest version of that. And yeah. you get to see it at its best, which is this unfettered, like seeking of the other and, seeing the other's loneliness and um, being gracious towards it, gently nudging him into connection. Uh, very lovely moment. And I'm going to give it a full cry. Ooh. I mean, I would give multiple moments in this episode <laughs> a full cry, but I'll give that one a full cry. Yeah, actually I, since I just said it and I feel it that moment where she, where Helga doesn't use the opportunity to poke a hole in Arnold's balloon and let it deflate and his sort of idealism to die that she has the sort of um, ability to understand the value of that and let it like exist and keep it perpetuated essentially, I think is probably the part that I liked the most. And I'm going to give it tears of joy, not sad tears, but probably full. I, I don't know. There's something about that that I think is really great. And it actually, you could unpack that a lot. There's a lot of implications in that. And mm-hmm. I think, it's a thing that we in society tend to do the opposite of mm-hmm. where it's like, you're a fool. If you don't fall somewhere in the middle, like you have to be realistic. You have to live, be grounded mm-hmm. because if you're not like, you don't serve any valuable purpose. And I think that's actually not true at all. And I think to be honest, there's a really interesting tie to me with that. And like the Vietnam element of this, like, Sorry, I'm going to go on like a political tangent, but like American foreign policy is full of people that view themselves as seeing the world as it truly is, as complete realists. So Hillary Clinton is a good example of that. She does not view herself as idealistic. She's a complete pragmatist and a a realist Mm -hmm. in her mind. That manifests in horrendous, awful ways militarily because... You don't allow other people to exercise their idealist muscles, right? So you don't have people, you don't allow people in other countries to sort of allow democratic processes to go through and have there be like a socialist government in the Middle East or a left-leaning government in Latin America or all these different things. Because if you think like those people, all the lefties have their head in the clouds, it's actually in our best interest and really in their best interest to squash that shit and make it them more market-centered, neoliberal, more free and open to capitalism and global trade and all of these different things and things that benefit mm. the United States. So it's that's like a bit of a tangent, but I think there's like this direct connection between devaluing the idealist and raising up the sort of really grounded realist mm. that has really negative implications and Helga realizes it in that moment. Mm. And it's like... And that might, I don't, I don't know. I think that's very profound. Mm. And I think we could all learn from that action. You know what I mean? Yeah. She's not, it's, it's interesting. Cause you, she could, like you said, she could take that moment to squash him, even him not being there. She still like keep, lets him have his dignity too. She said, she says, um, he's got, he has no sense of reality and yet we still should like push this push that sense of reality forward. Like, keep, yeah, 
let him keep thinking what he thinks. Yeah. Instead of instead of complaining about him with this guy who probably feels the same way. Yeah, definitely. I don't know. I think that's yeah, it's super good little bit there. Mm. And I don't and I, I don't I don't know. I think I think that there was that exists within those two parts of the story, that bit that Helga said and its relation to Arnold and the Vietnam thing, there is a bit of a connection there. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, the especially when you think that the ramification of you know this broken American flag uh, in Vietnam, the ramification of what happened is that Mr. Wynn's life was squashed. His life was torn apart, and he has been lonely and seeking his daughter for years. Um, he so he was the, he, the ramification of what happened was him being squashed. Yeah, and I think it, and the Vietnam War and there's other quagmires and things of this nature but it was the united states systematic decision to squash communism mm-hmm. anywhere that it existed in any form right and that is squashing idealism mm. because there are people that are using communism to better themselves and to gain power but there's also a lot of people that view it as an alternative to the reality that they had before that dictatorship they or yeah, whatever yeah. whatever it is Dict- well dictatorship or um. Yeah, military rule, all these different things. Yeah, and they saw it as a positive way out for themselves, and somebody else decided to come in and say, "No, no, no, no," and squash it. And in true Harold fashion, they allow in the small space that not to occur, which I think is very interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very nice. I'm. I like where this went. Uh, I'm excited. Um, for the future here with us uh, with hey Arnold. <laughs> Um, we're ready for the podcast money, of course, but regardless of that, we love doing it and we're glad that you've stuck around. Um, yeah, thank you for tuning in and it will be a little while, but I hope you guys stay interested in whatever. We're yeah. Doing. Send us emails, please. Yeah. Thanks again, guys. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye.